Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We have been in a leadership series. How, are you enjoying a leadership series? And it comes from Ephesians 4 that the whole purpose that we have is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's all of you, work, us working together. This is not about what I can do. I'm limited what I can do. But together is amazing what we can do through the power of God. And today we're going to be looking at the life of Jonah. How many of you have heard of Jonah before? You've heard of Jonah before, right? If you're at our trunk or treat, we even had a Jonah car out there. That was amazing, Angela. I love that. I asked if she could like, just drive her van up here, but we didn't have a way of doing that. An amazing car. But as we talk about Jonah today, I invite you to just turn to the book of Jonah towards the end of the New Testament as we dive into this today. And one of the things that I want us to outline is that as we look at this leadership series, we need to recognize that uh, we serve an amazing artist, God. And God handcrafts each of us. Have you seen that? And I love this picture that we have, uh, this picture of just this artisan, this woodworker, this handcrafted. See, God, though we're, we are all made in his image, we all look a little different, don't we? We all represent a little slice of who God is going through. And I love that handcrafted feature of God. See, when God made you, he looked at you and he poured in gifts, abilities, traits that he could use for, uh, for, to bring glory and to bring honor to him for the purpose that he's laid out for you. See, God has a purpose for all of our lives and he's placed these things in you. But unfortunately, as we walk through life, there are pressures that come in. There are things that happen to us that kind of stuff them down. And that's really what this leadership series is about. It is about awakening the gifts that God has given to us. Unique gifts, things that, things that are, are unique to you, though they may have similarity. There's a unique purpose that God has in you because he has uniquely and wonderfully made you. Isn't that amazing? So as we look at this, this, this today and as we look at this gift, I think the challenge comes a lot of times when God looks at, God has given us the gifts, he's given us a purpose, and we look at that purpose and we say, no, thank you, God, I don't want to be about that. Have you ever experienced that? You have this purpose, you have this gift, and they give it to you, and, and you find out the purpose of it, and you go, I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that or not. That's what we see here in the life of Jonah. Would you turn with me, Jonah? Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, as we look at this, it says in Jonah chapter 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But listen to this. But Jonah, he got up and he went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. That's almost like Worcestershire, isn't it? Kind of hard to say. Leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord for Tarshish. Are you hearing what happened there? God, he speaks to Jonah and he says, Jonah, get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to speak something to them. And Jonah, hearing God, he didn't have a problem understanding what God was saying. Is the, the, the word of the Lord here says, it says that he, he got up and he went the opposite direction. Now, why in the world did God give this command to Jonah, right? A big command. And the Lord, the Lord knows everything, so he knew he'd walk away. So why did he give this command to Jonah? See, as we look at Jonah, just a little bit of background, Jonah was a prophet. 
Jonah was a prophet. And prophets in the Bible, when we look at it, prophets were people who were called by God and they received a call to be God's spokesperson. So when we look at scripture and we see these prophets, they were called by God to speak for God. So for God to speak to Jonah, this was nothing unusual. He's done this before and he's done this after. He gave him a message, but Jonah was rebelling against it. Now, why would Jonah, knowing that his job was to speak for for God, God gave him this word, why in the world would he rebel against God? Well, when we look at Jonah, we don't look very far to know that Jonah, he had a big problem with God. He had a big problem with God. And here was Jonah's problem. His problem was that God didn't make sense to him. Has God ever not made sense to you? Let me ask you a question. Do you have friends that don't always make sense to you? Do you look at yourself and say, sometimes I don't make sense to myself. I do things I don't understand. See, his problem was that God didn't make sense to him. He heard God. He understood what God was saying. So there wasn't a translation issue. But he was like, why in the world would you say this? Why would you say this? Because in God telling Jonah to go and to make this pronouncement of judgment, he knew that it wasn't just about judgment. He knew that this was God giving Nineveh a second chance. This was a missionary outreach that God was sending Jonah out on. There was more to this. See, if it had just been judgment, Jonah would have been like, I'm all in. I'm for it. But now Jonah's recognizing what's happening here. And I think one of his big problems kind of come down to three categories. See, he had a big problem with this because, first of all, to Jonah, Jonah was going, this is not my job description. This is not the job that you gave me. See, God was doing something with Jonah here that was really unprecedented. This was the first time that God had sent a Hebrew prophet to go to the Gentiles on a missionary venture. See, for us today, we have missionaries that we send out to all parts of the world. They're in refugee camps. They are here with, uh, serving the homeless community here in Seattle. They are all over the world. But this was unprecedented. See, as a prophet, this was all about reaching out to just the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. So Jonah's going, this is not my job to save them. And I think a lot of this has to go with Jonah. He, he knew that there was already a plan in place. See, previous to Jonah, the prophet Nahum, or Nahum as some of you say, depending on which song you sing, right? He had already prophesied the destruction of Assyria. So to Jonah, Jonah's going, you know what? You're calling me to do something that is not in my job description. And it goes against a plan that was already there for the destruction of Assyria. We find this in the book of Nahum. It's very clear. And not only that, Jonah, he agreed with it. He liked God's plan to destroy Assyria. See, when we look at the ancient world and we read both historically, we read in the Bible, we read all these things, we recognize that the nation of Assyria was one of the most horrific nations at that time. Historians refer to them as a terrorist state. The things that the, that the kings of Assyria would gloat about are things that would make you shudder. They would boast about how they would leave their battlefields littered with the corpses of their enemy. It was common for them to decapitate their enemies and to make family members march through the street holding their head. They would do things like they would dismember and leave one hand so they could walk over and just shake their hand mockingly as they die. And it gets worse than that. 
And I say that not to bring a shock effect, but just to make you understand this morning that when Jonah is hearing this word from the Lord, I want you to go to the nation of, a, of, of Assyria, to go to Nineveh, one of the cultural centers, one of the powerhouses, and do this and give him a second chance. All these things are going through Jonah's mind. There's already been a pronouncement. This has never been done before. You've never asked another prophet to do this, God. Why are you wanting me to go and give them a second chance? This is a horrible, despicable people. Tim Keller, in writing about this, he compares sending Jonah to Nineveh like 1941, sending a Jewish rabbi to the streets of Berlin to preach against the Nazi regime of that time. Now, I would say Jonah's a little fearful, isn't he? See, we have fear in our life. This is deep fear. This is deep fear. So Jonah's going, why in the world would you do this? Why would you call me to do this, God? This doesn't make sense. But see, all of these things, though they're very valid and though they're there, I think they all are because of Jonah's big problem. Jonah's biggest problem was that he had a wrong view of God and he had a wrong view of himself. And really, I would say that those two are related, that when we have a wrong view of God, it's hard for us to have a wrong view of ourselves. Right? When you have a wrong view of the artist, the composer, the one who made something, a lot of times we have a, hard, we have a wrong view of what they made. This happens in music. You know, my background, I have a big background in music. And when I would go in and play pieces by Beethoven, my professor would have me study about Beethoven. What did Beethoven mean? What was he trying to communicate through this piece? I couldn't interpret it until I knew more about Beethoven. See, we need to have a right view of God. And to Jonah, here was Jonah's view of God. Jonah's view of God was that God punishes the bad people and he rewards the good people. And guess which category Jonah put himself in? The good people, right? It's almost like a Robin Hood view of God, right? He takes from the rich and he gives to the poor. This is good. But we, the problem with that is that we place ourselves in that position of judgment because we always put ourselves in that place of favor, right? That, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Those are the bad people over there. I'm good. I don't deserve judgment from God. It's a wrong view of who God is. It's a wrong view of God. And it really puts, puts Jonah in a place where he, where he was self-righteous. See, self-righteous. Self-righteous means that someone is convinced of their own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. So it's that whole idea of that, well, you know what? Whatever I am, I'm better than you. Have you ever felt that? I think we've all felt that a little bit at times, haven't we? Right, we do something bad, but we're like, man, I'm not like that guy. I'm not like the Assyrians. I've never done that crazy, evil stuff. But that's not who God compares us to. Because, see, when we walk in this, we're saying that righteousness is found in me. You want to know what righteousness looks like? It's me. Now, do any of us have righteousness on our own? No, I don't. Don't look to me. For that, we look to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, casting aside every hindrance and every weight. We look to Jesus. But see, Jonah, he'd fallen into this trap of self-righteousness. And I, th I think part of the challenge for us is that we want a God who's all-powerful. We want a God who is, who is Lord of everything, who's created the universe and everything. We want that all-powerful God, but we want him to make sense at all times. Don't we? We want all-powerful God above everything, who controls everything, who is my healer, my redeemer, everything in my life. But we want him to make sense to us. Now, the best response I have from this, I think I would quote Spock to say that is highly illogical. How many, how many Trekkies have we got there? 
How many even know what Star Trek is, okay? <laughs> it's highly illogical. Isn't that illogical? To think that somebody who is not God can understand God? I mean, David wrote about this through the Psalms. You know, who am I that you're even mindful of me? And Job had this experience where, where God's speaking to Job saying, were you there when I created the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? How can we fully understand God? See, we know that Jesus, he calls us now, his friends, that when we surrender, we give our lives to Christ. Jesus says that I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because I've revealed the will of the Father to you. We have this friendship. We have this intimacy with Jesus Christ. But even in that, we're still called as children. And does a child fully understand everything that the parent does? Does a student fully understand everything that the teacher does? Maybe you're smarter than me, but I didn't. Okay, walking through. I'll never understand. Like, one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, in raising our own kids, I remember when my boys, they couldn't understand why, given the opportunity to go to a car lot, that I would buy a minivan. They're like, Dad, what? how about a Jeep? Get a Jeep. Now, in my heart, I wanted a Jeep, okay? I'm not going to lie. Like, why would you buy a minivan? Like, well, a minivan, you know, our family's growing. We, we, we need to be able to cart you guys around. And, you know, we need to have the space. We need something that's, like, as economical as possible going through. They're like, but why? We can all get in the Jeep. Well, we all don't fit in the Jeep. They're like, we don't have to take everybody. You can just take us. They didn't understand, but we had that same approach to God, don't we? We're like, God, why'd you give me a minivan? I wanted an SUV. I wanted a Jeep. I wanted a motorcycle. I wanted a jet ski. And God said, you need a minivan. <laughs> now, not for always. Or you may say, you know what? You gave, you, gave, you gave that lady over there a Jeep. Well, for what I called her for, she needs a Jeep. How many of you want to be called to a Jeep ministry? You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> All right. We don't always understand God. But we're not going to because we don't have his perspective. We don't have his perspective. And this is the problem that Jonah was in. So what's Jonah's response? Jonah's saying, you know what, I don't understand God. This doesn't make sense. So Jonah's response was run. Man on the run. Do you know what? I need some new songs. You guys don't know these songs. Jonah's response was run. See, see, Jonah, he ran. God was revealing something to him that he didn't like about God, and he was, he was deeper. He was revealing something to him about himself that he didn't like. So Jonah's response was what? I am getting out of her. He wanted no part, so he did the exact opposite. He did the exact opposite. And to kind of show you this, I actually have a map that I want you to see. See, this is the map, and if you look at the far right... Okay, God had told Jonah to go east up to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He went as, he tried to go as far west as he could. See, Tarshish was over 2,500 miles away. And with Jonah's resources, this was as far away as he could get. When you look at the map, you see that God told him to go over land. What did Jonah do? I'm going over sea. Do you see this? Totally running from God. God told him to go to a big city, a major area, and he's going, I'm going to a small city. I am ready to go. I am ready to get out of town. I don't like it. So he ran. But what I love about this, do you know what God's response was? Did he ignore Jonah? Did he leave Jonah? 
Did he say, you run, hey, I'll find another prophet. I'll find somebody else to flow through. I'll find somebody else that wants to hear my voice. I'll call somebody else. He said, no, I am with you. And not only that, as we look at the story, we find out that he stayed one step ahead of Jonah every part of the way. And so in God's response to Jonah and staying with him and trying to bring him back, God brought into his life something I like to call opportunities. How many of you love it when God brings opportunities to your life? Thanks for that opportunity. <laughs> and the first opportunity that God brought to Jonah is he brought him the opportunity of the storm. He brought him this opportunity of the storm. See, Jonah said that he thought he was escaping from God. He got on the boat. He bought that one-way ticket as far away as he could because he was trying to escape from God. But here's a big lesson that we need to learn. Can we escape from God? No way, Jose. There's no way that you can escape from God. He is everywhere, and he loves you, and he pursues you with, with everything. See, it says here in Jonah 1.4 that in Jonah trying to escape from God, know what the Lord did? The Lord hurled. That's the language that's often used for someone throwing a spear. He hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to even break the ship apart. See, we need to recognize that every act of obedience to God is always accompanied by a storm in our life. Now, let me qualify that by saying that doesn't mean that every storm that comes into your life is the result of sin. You hear me, right? Because there's times it's like, man, what's, what is going on? Sometimes there are storms that just happen because we're in a broken world. But you can rest assured that every time there's an act of disobedience, a storm will always follow. A storm will always come out of that. Now, Jonah's response to this was just to sleep it off. How many of you are trying to get away from something? You're just like, I'm going to bed. I'm closing the door. I'm pulling the drapes. I'm pulling it up. I'm not even going to watch Netflix. I'm just going to close my eyes, and I'm going to sleep it off. This was Jonah's response. He went down, and he tried to sleep it off. The Bible says that all this time, in the middle of the storm, Jonah was asleep. Does that relate to anybody? He was asleep, sleeping it off. But the sailors, these pagan sailors who did not believe in God, do you know what their response was? In the middle of everything, while Jonah's sleeping it off, these sailors who don't even believe in God, they're up dealing with the storm. They're dealing with the outflow of everything that Jonah has done. And they're up, they're praying to their gods. They're trying to get things going. They're taking valuable cargo, they're living, and they're throwing it over the boat, trying to get this going. And they're saying, what's happening? The captain finds out that Jonah's down asleep, and he goes down to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, get up. You need to get up. You need to pray to your God. Do you see what's going on here? See, the sailors were calling out, and it wasn't working. So now they're going to Jonah and saying, why in the world are you sleeping through this? The captain said, how can you sleep at this time? See, Jonah, when walking through this, he knows it's his fault. He knows it's his fault. And they go through this process of casting lots, and even in that, Jonah's identified as this is all about him. So Jonah says, you know what, I recognize it's my fault. Just throw me over, throw me over. See, several times throughout the story, when Jonah is confronted with obeying God or disobeying, he says, just let me die. Just end my life, take away my purpose, take away everything. Just let me die, God. What he's saying is, you know what, I would rather die than listen to you. I would rather die than have to walk out this path that you've laid in front of me. Have you ever felt that before? This is rough stuff. You know, we can sit pretty easily in the judgment seat of Jonah, but this was difficult. This was tough. And he's saying, just throw me over. But the amazing thing is, is that these pagan sailors, 
they still tried to save his life. They knew it was his fault. They began to roll all the harder. They said, no, 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 just wait, you know, call it your God, call it your God. We can work this out. We don't need to throw you over. And no matter how much they tried, they recognized that there was no way through the storm. So they finally, they throw Jonah over and they throw him into the sea. Do you know what happens at that moment? The sea goes calm. The storm goes away. And get this. Jonah, in trying to run from God, he's like, I'm not delivering this word to pagans. Only Jewish people. I'm not delivering it to them. These pagans on the ship, do you know what happened? They repented and they gave their life, life to God. They turned to God in the middle of this. Isn't that amazing? That even in his sin, even in his disobedience, God still used him. God still used him. That the people that Jonah didn't have a high respect for, they brought more honor to God than he did as a prophet of God. Think about that. Think about that. That was opportunity number one. Now opportunity number two, this is the one that we all know about. Do you know what opportunity number two is? Is the great fish. The great fish. Now this is the point in the story that when most people, when they come to this, this is where they kind of have some problems with the Bible, right? And they're saying, come on, Pastor Dwayne. A great fish? A great fish really swallowed Jonah, and Jonah was in this great fish for three days and three nights. How is that possible? Now, when we look at the Bible, there are allegories, there are parables that Jesus has used. But when we look at this, and when we really dive in, and I would encourage you in this way, that when you look at the Bible, don't just use your own interpretations just to your own self. There are commentaries, there are, there are thousands of years of experts who have poured into this. There are archaeologists, there are historians, there are scientists who have poured into this. And when we look at this, we recognize that this account of Jonah, that everyone who looks at it, looks at it from an historical point of view. Even Jesus. Jesus referred to Jonah and this instance as a historical fact that happened. And I think Jesus is pretty credible to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. But Jesus looks at it as historical, that when we look at this, we recognize that this is a prophetic narrative, much like Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings. He's presented as a historical figure. And Tim Keller has this great quote as it, as it, re, as it relates to this instance. Tim Keller says, how you respond to this, the story of the great fish, will depend on how you read the rest of the Bible. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a far greater miracle then there is nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah literally. He's saying if you believe in Jesus, if you believe he's the son of God, that he came and he died and he rose again, what makes this story so hard to believe? And even when we look at history, there are at least two documented accounts of this happening to other people, which I thought was very interesting. In 1771, uh, Marshall Jenkins was swallowed alive by a sperm whale and survived. And then in 1891, James Bartley was swallowed by a sperm whale that his whaling crew had harpooned. And they later found him later, and they actually pulled him out, and he survived from that. And then we had good education and better technology, and so people stopped being swallowed by sperm whales, I guess. So I don't know. You just kind of walk away from it. <laughs> but these things have happened. These things have happened. And in the middle of this, Jonah has this amazing prayer to God. And he cries out to God. And so the, the great fish vomits him out on the beach. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you would love to be there for that vomit, right? Comes up, vomits him out, throws him on the beach. And so here's the response. Here's the response that comes from this. Out of all of this walking through, Jonah has this amazing storm experience. 
He tries to go all the way to Tarshish. The great fish brings around, vomits him out. Jonah obeys God. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches an eight-word sermon. How many of you wish you had an eight-word sermon today? Okay. He preaches an eight-word sermon. Here's what he says. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his sermon. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. See, Nineveh, it took three days to walk across. It's a major city. He walks one day in, and I don't know if he's excited about it or if he's walking in kind of fear. I don't know if he shouted it. I don't know how he did it. But he gave an eight-word sermon. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And you know what happened? Nineveh repented. Maybe I should do more eight-word sermons, huh? Nineveh, it repented. And a lot of people point to this and said, you know what, we got the great fish, that's hard to believe, but that this nation, this dominant nation, this terrorist state, Jonah walks in, gives an eight-word sermon, and they repent and they turn to God. How could they turn so fast? See, we need to recognize that God is the great architect. See, at this time in history, the nation of Assyria was in a weakened state. There was internal conflict going on. There were so many things going on that at this point, in God sending Jonah there, this was a timely opportunity for them to see who God is. See, they were, they were experiencing all this. It says that they were engaged in conflicts with the, Arme- with the Armenians and, and with, the, uh, with, with other groups. There was also widespread famine and numerous results within the Assyrian Empire where regional governors ruled with a fair degree of autonomy. See, God's response was this. When God saw that they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah walks in, does the eight-word sermon, and then they turn from their wicked ways, and God pulls off the destruction. God pulls off the destruction. Now, if that was any of us, we'd be like, yes, I'm not going to be destroyed. They heard the word. They stopped their evil ways. God saw it, and he pulled off the destruction of Nineveh. Do you know what Jonah's response was? He was mad. He was mad. Jonah went up to a high place to watch. And he was hoping that he would do that, that eight-word sermon, God, I did what you asked me to do. I checked off that box, and they're not going to respond. And now he was hoping to see them destroyed. But instead, they stopped. They changed. The king gave the order from the top down. They changed their ways. See, Jonah, he was angry at the mercy of God. And here's what he said to God. He looked at God and he said, God, I knew you would do this. I knew you would forgive them. Do you know what they've done? Have you seen everything that they've done? And now I come in and I give an eight-word sermon. And they stop and you pull off the destruction. Why would you do this? See, he was upset at at this. Jonah thought that he had a monopoly on God's grace. He's like, I love your mercy when it's applied to me. I love your mercy when it's applied to people that I like. I love your mercy when it's applied to people that I'm going, yeah, they, I've judged them as they really want to follow you. But when you start giving mercy to people who hurt me, who have killed people that I love, you've crossed the line with me, God. And Jonah even says in response to this, he says, just kill me now. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that level of forgiveness from God. Think about that. Think about that. But even then, God's response to Jonah in the middle of his anger, do you know what God does? He shows mercy to Jonah. He shows mercy to Jonah. He causes a shade plant to grow in order to ease his comfort. Now, if you've ever been out in the sun, 
And I'm not talking about Seattle sun where it's 70 degrees and we're like, woo, it's kind of warm around here, okay? I'm talking about heat. I'm talking about Middle East heat. When you have shade over you, it's a big deal. God gives him shade. He still loves Jonah in the middle of all this. Jonah still doesn't see his plan. He's still angry. God shows mercy to him. But then God turned up the heat. See, he showed up to go, you know, I love you, I'm with you, but Jonah, your heart needs a change. So the Bible says that the Lord sent a worm. <laughs> the Lord sent a worm. The worm destroyed the plant and it was gone. It says that God arranged for a scorching east wind. God arranged. It says this several times through that, that God arranged. He arranged for the storm. He arranged for a great shift, for a great fish. And now here God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. It says the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. How many times did he say, I wish to die? Lord, I can't take this. I can't take this display of mercy. I can't take this anymore. See, the challenge for Jonah, and I think it's the same challenge for all of us, is that sometimes we get so caught up in our comfort that it's more about our comfort than about reaching out for those who need God. It's more about me agreeing with God. God, when I agree with you, when it lines up with everything I believe, I'm good. But when it doesn't make sense, that's when I'm going to step off. That's when we have a challenge. That's when God ceases to be God in our life. This is what God says to him. God said to Jonah, he said, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Is that right for you? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the mercy and the grace? And Jonah retorted, he said, yes, it is right for me to be angry. Even angry enough to die. Even angry enough to die. You took the plan away. I'm so angry. Just kill me. Just destroy my life. But then the Lord said, he said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Jonah, look, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. One version of this says that they don't know their left hand from the right hand. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know who else said that? Jesus said that on the cross as they were killing him, persecuting him. In the middle of that, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God's saying, you care about a plant, but 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Shouldn't I feel sorry? Jonah, what is your view of God? Do you not know that they were made in my image? He's not discounting all the horrific things that they've done. But he's saying, Jonah, their only hope is to turn to me. And you're so caught up in your own comfort. You're so caught up in all the things that are around you. You're so caught up in who you believe God to be that you're failing to see who God really is. And that's our challenge, isn't it? That's our challenge. That's my challenge. Am I really seeing God for who he is? Am I really looking at this Bible not to filter it by what I deem to be true, but by God, what are you saying to me? What have you shown in this? No other book in the history of the world has been so critically examined. This book right here. 
God's saying, put me to the test. Show me. Let me show you what's going on. Do you see it, Jonah? I put you in a fish for three days. You saw the repentant hearts. And I think this is the call for us. This is the call for us. And if you have your listening guide, I encourage you to look there. As well as on the board, here's just some key questions. Because when we stand before this, this is a time now of us processing ourselves. And I want to ask you that as you see the story, look at it. Who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? Is there any part of us, is there any part of me that is self-righteous? Are there people that I'm ignoring? The hurt was so great and so hard. I'm like, God, I'm good with your mercy, but not, not over there. Is there any anger in your heart towards God today? And I want to encourage you, if there is, do you know who wants to talk to you about it? God does. You know, one of our packed churches is St. Matthew's, and we were doing a liturgical dinner. And I remember one night, this lady came in, and we were talking about the Bible and things, and I just said, around this little table, we're eating a meal. So what's resonating with you? And she said to me, I hate God. And she knew that I was a pastor, and she looked at me. Do you know what I was thinking inside? I was going, awesome. <laughs> Like, why would you think it's great somebody hated God? Here's why. When you put that honesty on the table, do you know what happens? God pours in his mercy. And he said, now I can deal with something. Now I have truth. Now you know. See, God knows, but we don't always know. And what flowed out of that was a beautiful thing. I'm just walking through it. Walking through, why do you hate God? What do you think that means? We need to be honest. We need to be real. But we all, in that process, we need to be open and say, God, what would you speak to me? What would you say? And hearing God, when we don't agree with it, to not run from God, but to run to God and say, God, though I, I don't understand. I love you. I know. I need you to help me. I need you to pour into my life. I need to give you to give me confidence. There are things that God's going to call you to walk away from that doesn't make sense to you, but you need to walk away. If God has called you to it, you need to walk away. You need to step away. But God, if, if I step out there, what's going to happen? God's going to say, I'm with you. I will be with you. But it comes back, where is their anger? And is your personal comfort getting in the way of hearing God and loving others? Our biggest challenge is to hear God, to love him, and to love others. It's that whole relationship thing. This is the call. And I want to invite you today to step out. Process this. The team's going to lead us. I want to invite all of our prayer team ministers just to go to the side, up in the balcony as well as down here. If you're going, I want to go pray with somebody. These are people that you can walk up to and say, all right, I'm angry with God about something. <laughs> know what they're going to say? I'm so glad you shared that because this is the beginning of healing. This is the beginning of healing. The shortest road to healing begins with that first step, just stepping out, just being real, talk to somebody. Maybe there's something in your heart. Whatever it is, let's allow the Lord to come in. Amen. Can we all stand together? Can we all stand together? We have communion tables set up. This is where Jesus said, every time you do it, think of me. I've made a way for forgiveness. I've made a way to provide for everything you need. We have prayer teams. We have prayer walls. Maybe you, you're like, you know what? I can't even speak it out. I just need to write it out. Go write it out. Where is God challenging you? 
Maybe there's a people group. Maybe there's a friend. God's challenged you to go. And you're like, I don't want to go to him. I'm, I'm scared. Pray about that. Get it out. Let's spend some time. I believe the Lord's going to do an amazing work. Let's take some time and allow the Lord to do his work in us. Amen? Let's respond to the word of the Lord today.